Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from my flagship in Atlanta, where we get ready for historic midterms. The phone number, if you want to be on the show today, 877-973-7425. I do want to do something slightly different and out of the norm today. This is the last day before the midterms. Be sure to go vote. I don't really care who you vote for. I have a dog in the fight, obviously, but I really hope you'll just participate in your civic duty, if you haven't already, and shape the future of this republic. Now, I'm willing to take your calls uh, today if you've got questions about the election. Adam Laxalt is going to join me at the bottom of this hour. Uh, He will be the future senator in Nevada. But I've got to begin with something different. And I want to start with, a, with an old joke some of you have heard, and the joke is to make a point. There was a small Baptist church. It needed a preacher, and it brought in a young guy straight out of Southern Theological Seminary. And the guy stood in the pulpit, and he gave a stem winder of a sermon. And they were so impressed with him, they said, we need to get him back, hear him again. So the next Sunday, they had the young man back. And he gave word for word the same sermon. And the deacons met and they said, well, something's something's up with this guy. Clearly there's something, I mean, something's out of place. It's such a good sermon. But he gave it twice. Is that all he's got? Maybe we need to invite him back a third time. And so they invited him back the third week. And for the third time in a row in that pulpit, he gave the exact same sermon. And the deacons thought, well, this is this is something here. We need to talk about this. And so after it was over, they surrounded the seminarian, and they said, we, we, we wanted to hire you as our pastor. We've had you here three times to hear your sermons, but you've only got one. You've only preached one sermon, word for word, three times in a row in the pulpit. And the seminarian says, yes. Have you done what I've been telling you in those sermons yet? Uh Uh-huh. That's the punchline. You may find it funny or not. But the point is to tell you I'm about to tell you something I've been telling you, and this is the third time I've told you, but I have to tell you it one more time so that you understand everything else I'm going to tell you. History does not care about you. History is history. When a president's party goes up for election in the midterms, they tend not to do well. When that president's party also controls all of Congress, they tend to do even worse. When that president and his party controls Congress, loses the Virginia governor's race, they tend to do even worse. When they lose the Virginia governor's race and the House of Delegates in Virginia in the same year prior to the midterms, they do even worse. When the president has a party that controls all of Congress and they lose the Virginia governor's race and they lose the Virginia House of Delegates race and the economy turns on them, they do worse still. All of those things have happened. 
The Democratic Party controls the White House, controls the House of Representatives, and controls the United States Senate. They lost the Virginia governor's race. They lost the Virginia House of Delegates. And the economy has turned on them, and the president has popularity below 45%. All of those things, history suggests, mean doom for the Democrats. The Democrats' theory of the race to mitigate that damage, and they are on defense and they do have to mitigate it, their mitigation strategy is twofold. Rev up fears about threats to democracy and tie it to Donald Trump and scream about abortion. My theory is that their theory of the race, abortion and Donald Trump, do not have the same gravitational mass as history. Therefore, this election will bend towards history, not towards the Democrats' theory. This election will bend towards historic norms. Everything else has been a smokescreen. Everything else has been an anomaly. Everything else has been a media echo chamber designed to distract you from history and the economy. It is, it has remained, it always will be the economy stupid with a side portion of crime. Nothing's going to change. And I have to tell you, it does not help that the Democrats have gotten so bad at the basic blocking and tackling of an election cycle. The president of the United States is trying to help save the United States Senate. One of the big issues in the United States Senate race in Pennsylvania is energy independence. They do not like solar panels. They do not like the president's hostility to oil and natural gas. They do not like the president of the United States diminishing fracking. They do not like the president of the United States going after the oil company and the coal companies. And that's exactly what the president of the United States has now done on three separate occasions since Friday. The president has come out and attacked oil and natural gas. The president has come out and attacked fracking. The president of the United States has come out and attacked energy independence in the United States of America, and it's not going to go over well with Pennsylvania voters. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new, new drilling. No, I... You can't hear what they're yelling at him. That was before I was president. We're trying to work on that, get that done. Thank you. No more drilling, he says, as a crowd is, is, is yelling at him to please, please stop the drilling. The president of the United States, if he's campaigning on stopping the drilling, is dooming the Democrats in Pennsylvania. The president of the United States, when he's attacking the oil industry, 
is dooming his chances across the country. And he's done it. The basic blocking and tackling of a presidential race means that you take care not to alienate swing voters. And the president has failed to do that. The president of the United States three times has gone off on the energy companies of America. You just don't do that if you want to win an election in Pennsylvania. Fracking and natural gas matters greatly to the people of Pennsylvania. This is the president of the United States at a campaign rally before heading to Pennsylvania. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar. You don't do that to win Pennsylvania. That's bad politics. That's bad basic blocking and tackling. It's not just Biden. Now, here's a nuance for those of you around the country who don't live in the South. In the South, they take football very, very seriously. When I got my start working in politics, I worked for a guy named Saxby Chambliss. I volunteered on his campaign. I was the head of the college Republicans at my alma mater, showed up, fixed their computers, started working on basic press releases, learning how to do uh, outreach for grassroots coalitions, the pro-lifers and the gun groups, and would be the liaison for them as a volunteer. Never got paid by the guy, worked on his campaign for years. I remember in 1994 when he ran the second time, the successful time in the Republican wave, no campaign events on Friday night. That was for football in Moultrie, Georgia. His son was on the football team, and he was going to the games. There could be no campaign events on Friday night. And on Saturdays, you better wear your red and black because the UGA was a thing. UGA is the dominant football team now in Georgia. There was a time when Georgia Tech had a premier football team. Now it's a basketball school. People kind of get it. UGA is the big school. Its colors are red and black, and it was the number one team in the nation. And then suddenly got ranked number three with the University of Tennessee, which has had a dreadful football team for years, suddenly resurgent, rebounding. Philip, who works for me, huge Tennessee fan. Tennessee suddenly comes out as the number one team in America. Both are undefeated in the SEC. They have a big game at the University of Georgia on Saturday afternoon, and UGA won. They beat Tennessee. In Georgia, every politician, Democrat and Republican, wore red and black. Raphael Warnock was seen wearing a red shirt and black pants. Herschel Walker, who was on the University of Georgia football team, was at the University of Georgia wearing red and black. Governor Brian Kemp was red and black. Hell, Brian Kemp's campaign signs are red and black. University of Tennessee, their color is orange. Stacey Abrams appeared on television Saturday morning wearing orange on MSNBC. I know for those of you not in Georgia, that's a very small thing for you. But that's because you don't understand the idiosyncrasies of the South. In the South, football reigns supreme, particularly college football. 
in Maine, maybe it's the Lobster Festival. In Texas, it's the State Fair and Barbecue, but also football. High school football in particular in Texas is huge. Every state has little idiosyncrasies. And when you run as a politician in those states, you run embracing those idiosyncrasies. Joe Biden goes to Pennsylvania saying they're going to get rid of coal-powered plants. That says to Pennsylvania voters, we're out of jobs if John Fetterman wins. Stacey Abrams goes on television wearing University of Tennessee colors on the day they play the University of Georgia. That says she is not plugged into the issues of her state. It's small things like that that matter, the basic blocking and tackling. And then what did she say on television that's even more damning? And I do not believe it's because of a deep well of enthusiasm for my opponent. We know that black voters are often discounted. And unfortunately, this year, black men have been a very targeted population for misinformation, not misinformation about what they want, but about why they want what they deserve. And my campaign has been the only one that has very intentionally, thoughtfully and consistently reached out. That has been misconstrued as concern when it indeed is just respect. Whatever. Stacey Abrams is on television saying she respects you black men enough to tell you that you've been lied to and you've been dumb enough to believe the lies. That's what she says. You're not very bright and you're believing lies. That's her argument for black men. The polling shows she's losing black men. Probably being a 48-year-old, childless, single, never-been-married woman has something to do with that. She calls it misogyny. That's just reality. Voters have perceptions in their heads. Black men have perceptions in their heads. All voters have perceptions in their heads of who candidates are. And black men would rather go with the good old boy from South Georgia who speaks like them and thinks like them and has, in fact, appointed a hell of a lot of black men and women to be judges in the state over the past four years. And then to show up and wear orange when every black man in Georgia was wearing red and black on Saturday for the University of Georgia. There's just a tone deafness from the Democrats right now. They've decided that only their issues matter, that abortion and threats to democracy are what matters. Climate change is a subsidiary issue that matters. Here's the problem for Democrats. The gravity, the gravitational pull of their issues that they decided to campaign on don't have the gravity that the economy and inflation and crime do. None of them have the gravitational pull that the arc of history does, and the arc of history is bent against the party that controls the White House and Congress in a deteriorating economy. They can't defy the abyss that's coming tomorrow. And all the echoes of everything they're saying today suggest they know it, even though they can't admit it. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington. That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. 
Hello there. Real quick, uh, tomorrow, if you are a Substack subscriber uh, to my daily email, we'll be sending you updates through the night as the election progresses. I'll be emceeing the Kemp Victory Party, and it will be a victory tomorrow night. I'll be there. Uh, I'll be on Radio 6 to 8 on WSB Radio in Atlanta, and then there uh, through the night, you can text the word DATA to 33777. Uh, subscribe. You'll get a 15% discount for subscribing right now uh, in the run-up to the election tomorrow. Let me go to the phones. Frank, you're going to be up first today. Welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Good to talk to you again. Every time I hear Biden you know, shut down the, you know, coal and the natural gas and the fracking. I just shake my head because these people have no basis of reality. I have an undergraduate degree in physics. I've been spending 40-some years in engineering. My undergraduate degree, I worked in atmospheric science. And the science just doesn't support what they're shooting for in terms of that the planet is not in danger. We're not going to burn up. Wind and natural get, you know, wind and solar just won't cut it from an energy perspective. You know, it takes like 400,000 pounds of raw material to make one battery for one electric vehicle. How are you going to do that with electric? And I just wish people would push back on these and tell them that and not just accept this narrative that everything is solar and wind. You know, it's just not going to work. Listen, uh, I, I think the, there are voices on the right who are doing that. The problem, however, is that the media, by and large, ignores those voices. They've put them in the climate denier camp, even though you and I know that's not true. And it, it has harmed the coverage that's out there. But, Frank, you're right. You've got the expertise to know you're right, that the the situation is there. We don't have enough materials, enough manufacturing capacity to put everybody in electric vehicles tomorrow we're still going to be a world that runs on fossil fuels. Alex Epstein was here last Thursday. He wrote a great book on on the fossil future, it's called. And we're going to be running on fossil fuel for a while. By the way, real quick, um, I got to say, there was some great college football on Saturday. I don't know if any of you saw that LSU-Alabama game. Sorry, Alabama fans. There's a LSU just pushed this out. Uh, when the Tigers scored the game-winning two-point conversion at 10.06 p.m., um, it registered the seismograph in Louisiana as an earthquake. <laughs> that was The fan reaction in Death Valley was so strong that it triggered the seismograph uh, at uh, LSU. That's how big it was, just a remarkable night of college football. And, and I mean, Stacey Abrams sadly was wearing Tennessee orange. Uh, Philip, Tennessee fan, did not watch the game. Uh, I watched it. It was actually a really good game between two very good teams. Um, and more on that later. But when we come back, uh, the next senator from the state of Nevada is going to join me. And I'm lack salt. Uh, we are on out there in Las Vegas, Nevada these days on the radio. Wanted to get him on before the election and uh, talk about the future of the Hispanic vote for the GOP, his campaign on the ground in Nevada, and why so many voters are coming towards him. Now, also, you need to know the Politico has a story out today. Did you know those voting digital electronic voting machines, they could be hacked? How can we trust them? The very same people who two years ago said your concerns were erroneous are now saying, oh my gosh, we have concerns because the Democrats might lose.
Hello, America, in particular, those of you listening on KXNT in Las Vegas, Nevada right now. I happen to have your next senator on the phone with me, Adam Laxalt, joining me. How are you? Uh, Hello. Hi there, Adam. How are you? Good. So glad to have you with me here today. Uh, I got the folks out at KXND in Las Vegas listening. So I've been looking at the poll trends out there, but more particularly in Nevada, I've been looking at the detailed surveys of Hispanic voters in Nevada. And you may be surprised to know this, but it, it turns out they don't really like it when you close down their schools and their businesses for months on end um, without doing anything else for them. It seems like they're not very happy with the Democrats. No, look, uh, everything has come together uh, at perfect timing for this election. The Democrat policies have utterly devastated the Hispanic community. That combined with the fact that you know, we put the flag in the ground back in February, launching Latinos for Laxalt in one of the most unprecedented Republican Senate efforts to just simply be there and communicate and talk about our values and make sure that they understood that everything they're experiencing today is a direct result of Democrat policies. It was a Democrat governor that shut down our state, shut down Hispanic small businesses, shut down schools. It is a Democrat president and my Democrat uh, Senate opponent, Catherine Cortez Masto, that voted to give them high gas, that voted to give them high inflation. And so this is why you're seeing this this incredible movement. And, uh, you know, we, we were also in Spanish language TV and and uh, radio and we were just there and we made a full scale uh, pitch that that our party represents a set of values that give the Hispanic community more opportunity, more safety, better education. Uh, and I think it's, I, I think not only is it going to help us win this, but I think if we do our job, this is going to be a lasting trend in my great state. So your state has been very interesting because so much of, uh, I mean, particularly the Las Vegas area, but also in Reno and other parts, there's a lot of tourism, also a lot of military, a lot of government-owned land out there. I I ask every Senate candidate who comes on, though, what is that issue that is a Nevada issue that someone in Georgia, for example, may not know about that, that really gravitates, captures voters' minds? You know, I... I think that there's no question that crime and our open border, I mean, these things are combining to make people feel really unsafe. And especially when your economy is something that that lives on tourism, you you can't start getting a reputation of being unsafe. That that doesn't work for one minute. Uh, People people come here to have fun and enjoy, enjoy themselves, and if they think they've got a chance, at what we experienced a few weeks ago, the, the mass stabbing on the strip, Yeah. guess what? People are going to stop coming. And so uh, we had six fentanyl overdoses in 24 hours. We had an officer shot in the line of duty. That was all within two weeks in Las Vegas. And again, that is Democrat policy. That is Democrat rhetoric. That is the overall worldview uh, that is super pro-criminal and, and continues to demonize law enforcement it is a big issue, and it's something that I think people fundamentally understand. They watched BLM in 2020, and I think communities are watching and saying, 
how can this be in America? How can these cities get burned down and looted and officers shot? And, uh, and, and if you watch TV and you listen to our quote-unquote opinion leaders, they act like this is all perfectly okay and justified. Uh, and I think people really, really woke up and understood that the Democrat leadership is uh, – they are pro-criminal and their policies make our communities less safe. You know, I, I've been trying to explain to people that the Democrat theory of this election was that if you scream enough about Donald Trump and threats to democracy and abortion, that they can overcome the historic wave about crime and the economy. And one, I don't think they can. But two, I, I just have thought it was very interesting that your opponent, Catherine Cortez Masto, has, has very delicately tried to thread a needle on the border situation without actually wanting to secure the border or really do anything. She's just seemed to, to bluster about it with no suggestions on what to do. I, I, my, my sense from just polling of Hispanic voters is that they're actually more with us than with Democrats on the secure border issue and that your opponent seems out to lunch on that issue. You know, this is another issue where it is the, the far left that has one view on the border, and it's her base, and she can't alienate her base. But it, but regular voters of all stripes, and, and certainly Hispanics as well, do not open borders. I mean, think about it. People waited in line to come for the American dream. And, and whatever we were sold some years ago as a party, that, that people – that the Hispanic community supported open borders. It's just not true. I never hear that. I hear the opposite. People want them to wait in line. They fundamentally understand that there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world that want to come into America. And so that, of course, is unsustainable uh, and would crater our nation if we woke up in, in five years and took 100 million um, you know, of the huddled masses in the world. We couldn't sustain that. Um, we take a million every year, which is a lot more than any country in the world. And, and people fundamentally understand there has to be a process. And so she can't speak out against her open borders. And, and by the way, she turned herself into chameleon on law enforcement, on every other issue. On border, she just remained silent for an entire year, including when I went to the border eight weeks ago, tried to get the media to cover the fact that, why is the private citizen the first guy to the border and not our senior senator? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know the answer, right? Um, but she certainly didn't want to be caught at the border and having to discuss the issue. Now, one of the things— that, i, I got to add one thing that's pretty funny. So I kept saying that, you know, Senator Cortez Masso has never been to the border. And I got fact-checked. And I'm like, wow, what in the world? <laughs> Which direction are they going with this? And turns out— she had been to the border. She went to the border when Donald Trump was president so she could do her photo ops and demonize him. But she has not been to the border when she actually has a president that she could call and a president that she could force to actually secure our border. She's nowhere to be found. Obviously, Kamala Harris is nowhere to be found. And Joe Biden is nowhere to be found. And so uh, I think people fundamentally it's an issue we pushed. I campaigned for the first time in Nevada history with the head of the Border Patrol Union. Imagine bringing the head of the Border Patrol in communities all across Nevada 
because they felt my race was that important. It's the wow. first time they've endorsed in Nevada. They feel like we need reinforcements in the U.S. Senate so we can finally have enough votes to try to secure this border. If you're just joining me, I'm talking to Adam Laxalt, the next senator from the state of Nevada. Now, i got to ask you this before you get out of here, because I, I, I personally found this galling on your behalf. Uh, it, and it only happens to Republicans, never happens to Democrats. Media ran a story that members of your family who don't even live in Nevada would support your opponent if they were there. I mean, first of all, your reaction, and then, I mean, the other trash that they have thrown at you this election cycle doesn't seem like they can find any issue to go after you on. They've tried to make personal attacks instead. Yeah, all I can say is just shame on her. $120 million, all attacks, uh, all negative, a lot of tread from the last last election, just like the family thing, okay, I've got, you know, a handful of family members that are Democrats, and they're supporting a Democrat. Is this still a news story, right? Um, but here's the good news. Despite we, – we've never had more than $60 million spent total in a Senate race. I had 120 against me alone, and I have the highest approval rating of anyone on the ballot right now, mm-hmm. including, you know, Biden, Trump, Masto, our current governor, our current gubernatorial candidate. And I think in the end of the day, it backfired. People saw the former Navy and Iraq veteran, the former attorney general, the father of four small children, and said, what in the world is going on here? It doesn't match this message that they're trying to portray that I'm supposedly some extremist and all these kinds of things. They're like looking and they hear me and they see me. And they're like, wow, <laughs> clearly they're attack- these are false attacks. And so that's why we've seen this stretch out in the polls in the last few weeks with us up by as much as five or six points and why we feel very, very good heading an election day. Well, you should. Um, and I think we're going to take the Senate back uh, with, with a strong vote from Nevada for you. Best of luck to you. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan. I, I know we've texted back and forth over the years. I'm excited to see in the Senate. Uh, you will be a fantastic senator for Nevada. So good luck tomorrow. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And all the Nevadans, make sure you get out and vote tomorrow. It's a big day for us. Yes, indeed. Adam Laxalt, the next senator from the state of Nevada. Uh, those of you out in Las Vegas, that one's for you, but also for you in the nation. Adam, actually, I've known him for a long time. Great, great guy. Excited to have him here. Excited for him to go to the United States Senate. Now, here's the thing you got to understand about Nevada. Uh, Nevada has a couple of major urban cores And in the grand scheme of things, they're not massive outside of Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the one that you think of in Nevada. But you've also got Reno, and you've also got Carson City, the capital. But Las Vegas and Reno, they are the big ones. They are the ones people think about. They're the ones people focus on. Carson City is is south of Reno. And you've got uh, those areas lean Democrat. Las Vegas in particular is where Democrats pile up a massive store of votes in early voting. Republicans have to be able to overcome that. And normally in the voting between Democrats and Republicans in early voting in Nevada, the Democrats have piled up a 15-point margin of votes just in Las Vegas that the rest of the state must overcome. It's only 1.5 points higher than the Republicans this year in Nevada. That's 
a warning sign for the Democrats headed into tomorrow that the firewall they need to build up in Las Vegas and Reno in particular was never built. They thought it was built the first week of early voting, but by the end of it, Republicans had so thoroughly overcome it, uh, there's no there there with the firewall. When you look at the vote still outstanding that will come in on Election Day, it's kind of doomed for the Democrats in Nevada, and they all know it. Eden Pure has brought back the Eden Pure three pack. Uh, no bogo this week. You got the three pack Eden Pure. They're that popular. People wanted it back, so now you get it. You can get three of them for less than two hundred dollars. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com, and you put in E R I C K three. That's your discount code. Eric three on the front page. There's no space. You don't write out three. It's the number E R I C K. The number three, and you get the Eden Pure thunderstorm. What is it? It's an air purifier. What does it do? It captures the pollen and the mold and the mildew and the dust that's floating in the air and it's filterless. You don't need a subscription for HEPA filters. Uh, it's got electrostatic plates and you just wipe them out on occasion. I will tell you, I don't use it as a run-of-the-mill air purifier though. What I use it for is I plug it in to eliminate foul odor. So for example, on my back porch, uh, it, it had rained a lot and water got in and I didn't realize that the uh, the welcome mat in the back porch, it's kind of a screened-in uh, back porch we kind of finished off, but it, it rain got under and the carpet got really moldy, and so it smells very mildewy back there. Well, it did, and I took the Eden Pure Thunderstorm back there, and I fired it up, and it wiped out that mildewy, musty odor on the back porch. It just did such a good job. I travel with this thing, keep it in my suitcase. If a hotel room smells musty or uh, someone's been smoking in a rental car before I get it, I can plug it in with a USB cord in the car or directly into the wall in a hotel room, and it wipes out those odors, litter box odors, pet odors, smoke odors, you name it. It takes care of them. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3 at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Listen, um, I'm happy to take your phone calls today because I know there are a lot of questions about the election. What I really would like to prioritize today, if, if you're okay with it, is instead of just general comments about the stuff I'm talking about, if you've got questions for me about the election, I'm I'm really, I will prioritize those over anything else. That being said, however, I do want to go to Tammy. Uh, Calling right now, Tammy, how are you? I'm great, Mr. Erickson, and it's an honor to speak with you. Thank you. I just want to throw out there, um, I have had for about two months this dream ticket for 2024, and why I, while I don't want to give up our governor here in Florida, which, by the way, my son calls governor to thank you, um, <laughs> it, I think Ron DeSantis and Adam Laxalt would be an amazing ticket. They were roommates in college. They, they have a great relationship. Um, you know, people that like each other in the White House might be something pretty intense. So just wanted to throw that out Look, there as a thought. I, I've known Adam for a very long time. I don't really know DeSantis well at all. I've known Laxalt for, gosh, I've known Adam for probably 10 years now. Uh, great guy. Yeah, and he and DeSantis were roommates. I want to say it was Air Force or it was something military related. I didn't think it was college yes, it specifically, was. but yeah. No, it was in JAG. And they're, they're phenomenally good guys, both of them. Uh, Tammy, thanks for the phone call. Listen, 
Uh, I don't know where they'll go, but I, I, I will say this, though. Uh, Laxalt isn't a novice at politics. He's from a political dynasty in Nevada, and he was the attorney general in Nevada uh, for a while. So um, I, I will just say I think that the 2024 dynamics are going to be interesting. I have not commented upon, and I suppose that I should say— the Ron DeSanctimonious comment from Donald Trump this weekend. Y'all, in 2021, Donald Trump said he suggests he thought he would rather Stacey Abrams than Brian Kemp be governor of Georgia. And this weekend, with an election uh, two days away, the former president decided to attack Ron DeSantis for his handling of COVID, his economic record, and referred to him as Ron DeSanctimonious. Can we please stop electing octogenarians? If Donald Trump gets elected in 2024, he will be the age Joe Biden was elected as president. And like Joe Biden hitting his 80s in the midterms of 2022, Donald Trump would be hitting his 80s in the midterms of 2026. Can we find someone younger, not named Bush or Clinton, please? Can we please find younger candidates for president of the United States instead of a bunch of 80-year-olds who are angry at the world? This is just nonsense to attack Ron DeSantis from stage two days before his reelection campaign in Florida suggests a level of jealousy, suggests a level of insecurity. It's just ridiculous. Come on, Trump, do better. Now, I want you guys to subscribe, please, to my email. If you text the word data to 33777, click that first link. You can get 15% off for the good stuff, the paid stuff, going to the paid subscribers. We're going to be sending election updates through the night tomorrow uh, to the, the paid subscribers. In addition to the show notes, emails, all the other detailed analyses you get, the exclusives you get, the ad-free podcast feed, all that, uh, we're going to be sending a lot of stuff tomorrow. Uh, in the election. I don't want to overwhelm you, but as we have big stuff, and I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best to do some special exclusives for subscribers tomorrow. It's going to be kind of weird because I'm going to be on radio from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Then I'm going to rush to my car and drive to Brian Kemp's victory party in uh, in Atlanta and MC that event. And then I got to be on Fox and Friends at like 6 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. And it's going to be nonstop Wednesday. I am going to take off Friday this week just to sleep some and go over and see my parents in Louisiana. But busy, busy next 48 hours.